This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. This month, Midnight will release their fourth full-length Rebirth by Blasphemy via Metal Blade Records. Featuring Midnight's trademark blend of speed metal, black metal, and punk rock. This new record sounds fuller and more intense than ever before. Purchase your copy of Rebirth by Blasphemy now at MetalBlade.com slash Midnight. Once again, Midnight's new record, Rebirth by Blasphemy. Purchase it now at MetalBlade.com slash Midnight.
It's the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts, Petter Speich, Brandon Hahn, and Jocelyn Sharp. Metal Sucks Podcast. Hello, friends out there. How are you guys? I'm your host, Petter Speich. I am always joined by Brandon Hahn. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at your buddy Gooch. I went back to Gooch. He, dude, he changed it back to at your buddy Gooch, by the way, guys, if you haven't followed him. Also, follow our other two co hosts that aren't with us today, Jocelyn Sharp at Jocelyn Sharp. That's J O Z A L Y N. And that's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And Sylvia Alvarado at It's the Sylvia on Twitter. And Instagram, if you guys want to follow me, I am at Rise to Offend. Facebook, Twitter, Rise to Offend official on Instagram. And this week, guys, on our show, we have the mighty Kirk Winstein of Crowbar. Down, my favorite band of all time, as Brandon knows, and everything else. But we're here to talk about his solo record, guys. Fantastic record, guys. Make sure you're picking it up. It's called Dream in Motion. It is out right now. It came out Friday. I spent all night last night listening to it again. I'm in love with these songs, guys. Make sure you take the time to check it out this week. It's another sad, sad week for us, man. We lost another legend in our community, in, in the heavy metal community, Shine Reinhardt of uh, Cynic. And obviously, for anybody that is a huge metal fan knows, he was on the record Human by Death, which is a landmark record. And um, drumming-wise, in our in our scene, there are so many innovators, you know, but I he was the first one for me. And keep in mind, I was born in the 80s, you know, so... So it might have happened, but so for you. There might have been somebody out that did a different style of drumming. But for me, he was the guy that kind of made me think, wow, you can incorporate, this is what jazz drumming is, more or less, into a metal band. Because a lot of the thrash guys and the stuff that I, that I was privy to early on, you never saw them kind of take it to this the, the progressive level as it got labeled eventually. Um, and so he's one of these drummers that I just think made me fall in love and want to be a drummer. That was the instrument that I chose to pick up as a kid and do now um not in any level can i compare myself to someone like him but at the around the same time i remember seeing danny carey from tool i remember seeing uh you know tomas from mashuga and 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 they all kind of had this similar style that i didn't see before in heavy metal or punk rock because you know a lot of stuff i grew up on was punk rock as well and um he passed at 48 he was found unresponsive that's all the details we have very young age to pass away but for me i gotta tell you like i remember i was probably 10 or 11 and at that time it was like 91 90 and we had metallica just put out the black album and pearl jam was on the radio and nirvana and allison chains and all these bands that we grew up on and then death metal was coming out of florida a couple of years prior but it didn't really grasp me quite yet i was too scared of it i was too young for the cannibal corpse the cover art Mom wouldn't let me have it. Got in trouble for buying White Zombie, Lost Exorcisto, by the way. I remember that. She's like, what is this Devil Music Volume 1? She took it away and put it in. A, she didn't throw it away. She put it in a cupboard and gave it to me when I was 16. Uh, That's a true story. She's like, you can have this back now. I'm like, what? Thanks, How Mom. old were you? I was, uh, when I got that, I, was, I think I was 12 or 11. So she held on to it for five years. Yes, she did. Wow. That's my mom. She's, she's a saint. Did, um, you, uh, did you sneak into the cupboard and get it? No, I, I didn't know it was there. I thought she threw it away. Oh. She told me she did. You know, but the point is, is that one of the records that, and and my story kind of goes into this is that uh, I was watching a Headbangers Ball. I would stay up at night. I shared an apartment. We we live in a group an apartment. Me and my brother shared a room, and I would have to uh, go to the living room and then turn the TV on so nobody can live. It was a two bedroom apartment, and Headbangers Ball was always on late. And Pantera. You had to go turn the TV on so no one could live? No, no one can. Pretty brutal, bro. That I had is it. metal. Right? I, I didn't mean that. I, I, I had to turn the TV on so no one can hear. I don't know why I said live. I apologize. And I remember, in and, and my memory, again, it could be a little fuzzy, but I remember it was Vinnie Paul, Phil Anselmo, and they're walking with uh, Ricky Rackman. And they're asking those guys, um, you know, what's some of the metal you like? And this is the cowboy from hell, I think, going into the vulgar displayer. And they're like walking on like some beach in LA or something like that. And, and I remember um, one of them were like Death Human, right? And I'm like, Death Human? I thought that was the name of the band, Death Human, right? As one right. band. And so I can't remember who it was. This is what my memory is. But I go to the Tower Records and I only had enough money for a cassette tape, you know? And so I bought that cassette tape, and 
I was like, this is death metal. I had to hide it. I thought my mom would take it away, even though the cover art wasn't that crazy, just because it was called death. The songs were all about, you know, there weren't death metal songs. Lyrically, they're about like growing up and, and different things, very, very different from death metal. So that was my segue into Cannibal Corpse, into Morbid Angel, into all the, you know, great DSI death metal bands of the of the uh, early 90s and back in the day, and nothing touched that record because musicianship-wise, I don't think I heard anything more concise and original and great. And that was because Sean was on drums, Paul Masvidal was on the guitars, and then obviously the great Chuck was on, uh, Chuck and Steve, I think, were on Steve DeGeorge, I think was on that one on Human. But the point is, is that that was, and still is probably, the most important death metal record to me. Fast forward a couple of years, you know, when you were a kid, you would pick up everything on a record label, right? So it's like Roadrunner Records. I'm buying anything with this Roadrunner record label on the Sepultura's on there, and you know, Nickelback. And <laughs> Nickelback's down the road. We're not talking about that. I'm talking about the early 90s. And as funny as that, I did buy the first Nickelback record because it was on Roadrunner. I swear to God, we man. all made that mistake. And I returned it to uh, Big B's and uh, replaced it with a obituary. Uh, record. I was like I that with the Epitaph records. Yes, Epitaph, same, same. Yeah. We had the same thing with the punk rock, and so Cynic Focus comes out on Roadrunner, right? And um, I did not know it was the same guys that were on Human. You know, at this points uh individual thought pattern was coming out as well and i think this came out before that but they weren't on that record and focus was something i remember clearly listening to it and being like do i like this is am i not smart enough to understand this like i felt like i felt like kind of i don't know what's going on you know i didn't understand this record i was like i don't i don't know what this is and so i when you bought a record you only had so much money when you were like a 13 year old or something like that so you had to live with that record you could not just give it away. Back then, there wasn't like used CD stores. You know, there wasn't. And um, I remember the thing about Cynic that I loved so much is that when I bought it, it had that CDs had these big cardboard cases, right? And the cover art was just amazing. So I took the cardboard case out and I put it on my wall because I thought it was so cool. And um, I was forced to live with the record. And after about the fifth or sixth listen, I'm like, this is like, this is amazing. This is something I've never heard before. I, I don't know if it's not heavy enough, but it is heavy. I don't know if it's not grimy enough for me, but it is, you know, it's clean, but it's heavy. It was, it was the weirdest thing ever. And so this was my first foray into what was eventually be known into progressive metal. You know, this was the only thing. And then that was it. They're, they broke up a, a year or two later, and that was the only record I had of them until way later 2005. But the point is, is that those two records, Death Human and Cynic Focus, I think are two top 50 metal records, most influential records of all time on almost any list that you can put out there, you know, and Sean was on both of those. That's how important he was to the heavy metal genre. I listen to modern day drummers that I blow my mind, Matt Halpern from Periphery, Naveen from Entheos, uh, you know, even Chris Adler, you know. And I don't think they would even take the same risks, have there's, the same there's, setup. There's foundational drummers yeah. that help us, that some of these, that today's artists were built upon. And I know Tomas from Meshuga is one of those guys that maybe you can say, well, he influenced, but I think that Sean Reinhardt influenced more with what he did, especially in death metal. I think, I think Human changed the game for all those bands. They're like, shit, we got we to gotta be better now. Technical death metal wasn't really a, a thing that I knew growing up until... I got focused, or actually human, you know, in a lot of ways. So this is a big loss, big loss to the heavy metal community. And um, this guy was uh, was special, not just because of the drumming skills, but as you look on social media and all the, the tributes out there, he was a great human being, you know. And there's a lot of great human beings in this scene. There's a lot of great human beings that are musicians. And when you lose one, you, you just got to take the time to make sure you remember what they gave you, you know? If you guys haven't listened to Death Human this week, if you haven't listened to Focus, Traced in Air, or the final record that they did together, Kindly Bent to Free Us, do it. Do yourself a favor. Live with these things. These are fantastic things. Uh, the drums that Shine Reinhardt did, many other projects, but I think these are the things that are, are very vital to his legacy. 
and uh, to us as a metal community. So from us here at the Metal Sucks Podcast, rest in, rest in power. Isn't that what they say now? What do they say? I like it a lot more than that, rest in power. I like it more than what it used to be. What, what do it used to be? Rest in peace. Okay. I like rest in peace, too. Anyways. Uh, yeah, rest in peace, rest in power, whatever. I mean, you know, may, may, may his journey through the afterlife be a blessed one. Yes, and thank you so much for the records, the music, everything you left behind, all us metalheads. You've influenced us more than you'll ever know, man. And with that sadness, we had another passing this week, Joe Payne. Divine Heresy and Nile bassist um, died at 35. Again, don't know the reasons. I'm one of those that don't really care. You know, just uh, make sure you guys do check out some of the work from Joe Payne as well. He he put out some fantastic records with Nile and those two Divine Heresy records were excellent. You know, Fear Factory fans, if you haven't listened to them, make sure you guys check them out. So R.I.P. Shine Reinhardt, R.I.P. Joe Payne, and uh, with that, let's go to an upbeat interview. Kirk of Crowbar. Everybody, what's going on? It's Petter, Metal Sucks Podcast. On the phone, I got Kirk Winstein. Uh, we are here of Crowbar, of Down, of Kingdom of Sorrow, but we are here to talk about the namesake record that is coming out, Solo Project, Dream in Motion. It just came out this past Friday, guys, so make sure if you haven't pre-ordered it, pick it up right now. Now, Kirk, uh, Crowbar yeah. has some serious emotional depth, but there's a different expression on your solo album. Were these songs written throughout the years or all focused for this project specifically? No, uh, lyrically and, and uh, musically, everything was just done one song at a time when the whole idea of doing the solo album came about. You know, like I had no no lyrics and no music, and it was like, okay, I'm going to start a solo record. So I, I wrote a song and, <laughs> you know, went off to another one, whatever. So, you know, the whole thing was like a two-year process uh, because I'm so busy with everything else, especially Crowbar with all the touring and everything. Um, and I mean, you know, family comes first and then, and then you got all the touring with Crowbar. So, uh, it was, it took me two years to c- complete the record. Um, but it was, it was done at a very leisurely pace, obviously, if it took two years, but, uh, you know, no stress, no deadline, no pressure, no anything. Record company gave me total freedom and just said, we believe in you, you know, go do with, with you, what you want to do. And, uh, you know, we can't wait to hear it. So it was it was a, a very easy, relaxing uh, album to make and actually a lot of fun. And, and you know, and from the creative side, it, it was it was it was a really, you know, just just a blast. Were there any songs that you were writing in this process that you felt maybe fit better with Crowbar? Because to us as fans, you know. You, you, in essence, are Crowbar in a lot of ways. But when the solo record came out, were you looking for a, a kind of a, a different sound? Because there's a lot of tracks that I think are completely different that wouldn't fit in with Crowbar. Yeah, and I, that, that, exactly. And that's kind of what the whole, you know, the whole idea behind it was. was like, look, this is stuff that, this is another side of my writing personality. This is stuff, this is me writing it. But it's stuff that can't be on a Crowbar record. You know, and, and the thing is, I listen to so many styles of music and I have so many musical influences, you know, and I, and I mean, you know, tons of, of stuff, a lot, a lot of, a lot of softer music as, as well, of course, as, as heavy stuff. But, um, you know, this was really just, just a chance for me to branch out and, and do something that, that, you know, write songs that I really enjoyed writing and, 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 and you know, recording, um, that I wouldn't be able to put those songs on on a crowbar record. Now, closing track Aqualung is a Jethro Tull song, but it's it's a, it's very expansive for your voice, guitar playing. Tell me the challenges of getting that track right for you. It was very difficult uh, because when you listen to the song, I'd never really tried to pick it out properly before. You know, just fucking around on guitar or something. I might mess around with the riff. Uh, the, you know the main opening riff, but um, you know when 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 I broke it down with with Dwayne the producer and we really started getting into it, I'm like Jesus, you know this. Okay, you got the main riff and you got guitar harmonies on top of that, and the the bass underneath is doing harmonies as well and doing some different stuff. So it was it was really time consuming, um, and then the guitar solo was quite quite a challenge. It's it's. It's a very long solo for, for starters, but but I love it, you know. And I, I I just basically did my best, 
you know, I do one, one bar or whatever you want to call it at a time, you know, one little riff at a time and, and pick it out and lay that down and then go, okay, let me, let me pick out the, the next one. And, uh, you know, we, uh, it, it, it took quite a while to get that solo down, but you know, I, I, I think I got it pretty much 90%, you know, note for note, or at least, at least where it feels, it feels like the, uh, the original, you know, that made maybe a few different notes here and there, but it's still, it's still, you know, paying tribute and, to uh to what Martin Barre did you know on the solo so um it would that was probably one of those challenging because when you write your own music it's it's not a challenge I mean it's a challenge to write it but not you don't have to go you know with something like Aqualung that's a, a very involved seven minute song with a very long guitar solo and you know the the, the middle section and all that stuff it, it was a, it was a lot a lot of you know it was a challenge a lot of work but definitely well worth it i'm really really pleased with the the, the way it came out oh it's fantastic and, and i do like what you said is because when you're writing your own stuff it's coming from nowhere so you're making something out of nothing but when there's right there's a legacy behind a track um i think that all the questions i don't know it, it brings me anxiety to even think about it you know to if, <laughs> if you're trying to do a tribute to someone thing like that and um for you to pick this one song for your solo record, were you thinking about covering this for a lot of years and this was just the right timing? Yeah, we actually used to do kind of a really short version. Just We only played it a few times, but of Aqualong with Crowbar back in like the mid-90s. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I kind of liked where where that one was going, but I, I'd, I'd always wanted to do it with Crowbar, honestly. And then uh, instead of instead of trying to rewrite it, and do it, you know, like like I kind of rewrote No Quarter that we covered. I kind of rewrote Dreamweaver Dream that we covered, uh, which that one was kind of more just for fun. That was really. fun. But I did, liked it, though. <laughs> but it did come out It did come out great. I think you so. You know what I mean? I, I think. But uh, with this one, I, you know, with the solo record, I told Dwayne, I said, fuck it. Let's just do it. Let's do it just like it goes. Of course, add a little different flavor to it. But let's try to really, you know, not as though I was trying to cover the song like I was in a cover band or something, but I wanted it to be true to the original, and I just wanted to throw in a little bit of my own stuff, which I did during the middle section, you know, in a, in, in, in on the original, um, the middle section is really just uh, Ian Anderson playing acoustic and singing, you know, until the drums come in with a little piano or whatever, but um I threw a lot of crowbar style harmony guitars and whatnot, you know, in the back to kind of give it a little of a crowbar vibe in that middle section. Uh, and then when it comes out of the middle section, going into lead, the rest of it is, is pretty much, you know, just straight on with the original. And so for the fans out there who haven't heard it, the record is out now, guys, so make sure you pick it up. But we do have a link on metalsucks.net. They did release uh, Aqualung a little bit earlier. So guys, search it, check it out. Excellent, excellent track. Now, from an artist standpoint, when you ha you come from an established act like Crowbar, um, a lot of artists have done that, and they've branched out to do the solo records. You know, which artist wow. in the in, in your head or that you've grown up with do you think that wasn't an established act but branched out to do their own solo records was the most impressive to you? Um, really good question. Probably really hard to to answer. Um, I don't want to use the the Kiss solo records, as an example, uh, although I am a huge Kiss fan, but I like you know Ace is as far as a, a solo prod, you know, album if you want to call it Ace releases, and and Paul Stanley's for that matter, I thought were great. But in the seventies, I thought uh, uh, Joe Walsh, you know, did, did some solo stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, he had a huge hit with you know Life's Been Good to Me so far, and I, I still love that song when I hear it on like classic rock radio. I thought I thought that was that was very impressive. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, uh, I mean, I like Wino, uh, from the obsessed, you know, I, I like his solo, so uh, acoustic thing, uh, quite a bit. Cause I'm a huge, huge fan of his, um, I'll tell you that punctuated equilibrium. That's why solo record. If you guys haven't heard it, I think that is a phenomenal record. Ace Freely actually was the one I, I thought you would say. Because I think his yeah, solo for sure. stuff for, through the years has been uh, real consistent. Yeah, I mean, even really the albums good. after Kiss and all. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, yeah. I mean, he's one of, you know one of my all-time favorites, and of course, you know. But I mean, I, I, I do like I said with Paul Stanley. I think his record, his sounds like a it just sounds like a Kiss record. That's what, a, and I, I think it's a great album. But I think I like Ace's better because I'm, I'm a bigger fan of Ace. But Paul sounds like his Kiss songs, which is which are, is great. I mean. Jeans is kind of 
just I don't even know what he was thinking. And then, I mean, you know, there's no disrespect to Peter Peter Chris because he's 74 years old now, so he's 20 years older than me. And I know he came from a different background of music, but I, you know, I just didn't. It just wasn't my my thing. You know, I don't think it's terrible. It just wasn't my thing. But um, you know. Definitely, you know, Ace, Ace for sure. Um, you know, the Wano, Wano uh, record, and um, you know, it's 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 hard because a lot of guys go solo after they leave a band, an established band, but then it becomes their own thing, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and I'm so I'm trying not to really, you know, I mean, I'll put it this way: like stuff like like Don Henley, you know, with songs like you know, uh, uh, Boys of Summer, and then and stuff like that are, are, are great, you know great hit hit songs um you know at the time the, the eagles kind of probably weren't even really doing anything you know so, so he, he kind of went solo for a while in fact i saw him in concert on that tour uh at uno arena here in new orleans it was him and i can't remember who opened but he, he, he was fantastic it was great nice man. did you ever hear that paul stanley record live the win the solo one he did, I, don't, I think it was in the '90s or maybe late 2000s. I I've heard. I, I don't have it, and okay. I haven't. Heard, I have not heard it. But uh, I, I would probably. Is it any good? Because I'd probably probably dig it. I gotta tell you, like, I, uh, somebody gave me a copy, uh, like on, on CD, like a while ago, and it's still in my house, but I never unwrapped it. Isn't that horrible? <laughs> We're going like. No, that happens to me. Yeah, that's a decade. I just. Later. I don't have time to listen to music, man. It's crazy. Yeah, it's. It's like my life. It's so, you know, so busy that, I, I mean, I mean, I'm in the studio at Crowbar now, you know, it's like, so I'm, I'm, I'm listening to that, you know, I'm not, it's, it's hard, man, when you're a kid, you know, when you're young, and you know, you don't, you, you know, you got no family, no, no children, no, you know, no wife, no house, no any, anything, whatever, no responsibility, that's all I did was listen to music and practice guitar, you know, and I mean, it was, it was so, so much freedom and, and, and just, so innocent and so fun you know and it's as life like we all joke about it you know like when i'm talking to guys in other bands it's like well and then life happened you know as you as you get older you know um you know i don't have time to go to go to shows as much and uh you know and i I just i mean when i I listen to music when i'm in in, when i'm driving in a car that's it and that's if i'm driving by myself i'm driving with my wife we normally don't listen to anything because we're talking the whole time and she's doing business on the phone the whole time, you know. So it's, um, it, you know, the, the, the old, when I was much, much younger, it was a lot simpler. I could spend, if it was shitty weather, raining, pour, you know, pouring rain outside, cold, whatever, I could just, you know, keep myself entertained listening to music all day and I was happy as could be. And it's just, you know, it's not, not like that anymore, but. No. It is what it is. Yeah, life happens. I'm in the same situation. Uh, and uh, when life happens, it's like the older you get, what I try to tell people, I'm like, you got to understand, like you put yourself last and you put all those yeah. that you got to take care of first. And that means yep. the most important thing to you is still third in line. You know, <laughs> so like yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's legit. Like uh, you have to make sure they're all happy because you won't enjoy what you want to do until you get them where they yeah, go. Yeah, everybody else is, you got to take it. It's, it's true. I, I always tell people, I'm like, man, you know, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a stepfather, I'm a grandfather. Uh, you know, I'm a full-time touring and, and recording musician, uh, you know, and, you know, and then, you know, there's, there's, and really all I do in my, in my with little bit of downtime I do have is just, you know, watch movies or a lot of these Netflix series with my wife and just that's kind of like our relaxation, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't even get to get out as much as I used to as far as going to hit, hit pubs or bars or whatever. And, you know, uh, which, which is fine, you know, but uh, it's all, yeah, life, life takes over, man. But it's a great thing. You it's know? a great it's just, thing. But, Yep. I agree with you 100%. It's a great thing, man. So well, you were just talking about the full-time tour. I do want to promote, just had Derek Green on the show last week. Uh, we are talking oh, about awesome. Sepultura, and you guys are going out in March. Um, what are the plans on performing? Are you going to plan on performing any songs from the solo record just because it's new and it got released, or is it just going to be strictly Crowbar stuff? Nah, strict, strictly Crowbar. I mean, good question, but, but strictly Crowbar for sure. Um, if... And when I ever do anything with any of the solo stuff live, I'm going to have, I don't have a band, you know, so uh, I would have to put together a band to do it. And I don't even know how many of the songs, I mean, the songs, none of them were written to be performed with, with, the, with even with the idea of, of performing them live. It was just, 
it's a studio record, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm sure I could pull it off, but uh, you know, it's it's not something I'm really, you know, I mean, I'm really concerned with. Uh, as is that the live stuff, I'm just really pleased with with you know all the hard work put into the to the Dream in Motion record, and, you know, and how happy I am with the with the final product, you know, and and the reaction's been fantastic to it so far, which is really. You know, I was I was a bit nervous to see how people would react to to it. You know, I mean, they're so used to me doing something heavier, and you know, and, and, and you know, but it seemed. I mean, so far, you know, the the Crowbar fans have all been very, very, you know, um, you know, supportive of, of what they've heard from the new record. So that that's a great feeling, and I really appreciate that. You've earned our trust, man. Over the years, don't you worry about it. Everything you put yeah, out, we're good. yeah, we can talk <laughs> about. We can talk about Cro- Kingdom of Sorrow, Down, Crowbar, this record, all and the other stuff. All the stuff you put out, I think you know that you have the right litmus test before you give it to us. You know, you're like, no, nah, this will be fine. You'll know it. Yeah, you know I mean? so, yeah. Which, uh, but it's it's not for it's not for all. You know, nah. I mean, if if you're only in the heavy stuff, you know, it, it's. It's, it may not be your thing, but, uh, you know, it, it still has, to me, it's still, it still has like a crowbar vibe to it in a way. It's just, it's just, you know, it's, it's still got a dark type vibe. It's just, vibe. It's just, it's just a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more clean guitar. It's a lot more kind of spacey and, 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 uh, and I don't know, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's a, it's a very cool musical journey, you know, from song one to song 10, uh, and you know, I'm just, I'm just really pleased with the way it came out. Excellent, man. Now, being from New Orleans, we always like to talk to you guys about the sound, you know, especially the heavy music. But who do you think was the most influential band to you during that era of heavy metal? Was it going to be Black Sabbath or the Melvins? <clears throat> um, honestly, the big three mm. for me were well, actually Sabbath, of course. But then I got into well, Mel- Melvin's and Carnivore. Mm. That's where I got more, you know, like with, with, when 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 that that car- Carnivore got me into the hardcore scene, like the East Coast and the New York hardcore scene, because uh, you know an album like Retaliation is uh, basically a hardcore record with Black Sabbath riffs thrown in, you know, which which I love the the combination of the two. But um, you know, Sabbath, of course, but I was also heavily influenced by. By Trouble and, uh, you know, St. Vitus and Witchfinder General stuff, you know, stuff that was kind of Sabbathy, doomy kind of Sabbathy, but, you know, of course, you know, the, the original Sabbath as well. Uh, and, you know, I, I remember with, there was a time right around the, the actual, you know, just the, the beginning of what would end up being Crowbar, where uh, Jimmy Bauer, um, he would pick me up for, for band rehearsal and the only cassette tape he had in, in his car was it had uh the first two Melvin's albums, uh you know, Gluey Porch Osmond, Gluey Porch Treatment, so I'm not sure which one came first. But it had both albums on one C D he recorded on cassette and we listened to that to and from rehearsal every night. Uh and then when I'd get home I'd listen to a lot of a lot of Carnivore. Um so, you know, those two bands were extremely important and influence and crowbar of course along with uh with uh sabbath you know and just a lot of the classic rock in general i mean i'm I'm, you might not hear it but i mean you know there's there's with the guitar harmonies there's a lot of thin lizzy influence and you know there's a bit of zeppelin influence here and there as well um i just you know i grew up on classic rock and 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 you know and and classic heavy metal um and you know that, that really the you know the like for me, I really think the last, the last record that I can say truly was an influence as far as as to Crowbar was probably the first typo record, uh, Slow Deep and Hard. Um, that was like I had actually, actually uh, Phil and someone had given me a, a copy of it on cassette like well before it came out. In fact, I don't even think the band was called Typo Typo Negative yet. He had gotten from somebody because he was a huge Carnivore fan as well, and um. You know, so I had it for a long time, and then when it came out on CD, of course, I got it. And uh, you know that that was that was around the time you know I was finishing writing what would be Obedience Through Suffering, our first record. So that was that was really kind of you know the last like true album I would say that that really really influenced me um, on, on with with you know the style that Crowbar would become and and, and what we would do. 
And a lot of those songs on Slow Deep and Hard were like the third Carnivore record. Um, it, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I heard. Yeah. You know? Uh, and read even I read I read an interview with uh, with Louie uh, the, the drummer from Carnivore and he, he was talking about that you know like it really was kind of gonna be a Carnivore record and then Pete wanted to do something with keyboards and a bit more industrial and you know and, and just incorporate the whole all of it you know and uh, yeah so that that one that was a natural progression you know from retaliation I think you know into something something di- very different but at the same time a lot of a lot of things in common with with uh with carnivore but yeah that it does well i mean all of the typo stuff uh i just you know pete's one of my biggest influences and uh you know he, he I, I listen to typo quite often doesn't have a misstep in his career i say it all the time um yep. yeah he's he's excellent but yeah the from from angry neurotic catholics to i know you're fucking someone else i don't know the actual titles unsuccessfully coping something yeah i mean with the, yeah i'm successfully coping with something infidelity or something you know exactly crazy crazy, crazy title i just call it i know you fucking someone else exactly <laughs> <laughs> um but from from that jump you can see that like just the evolution i guess if you take it to uh, bloody kisses and that it was such a small time period for him to take those big risks i mean that's a that's crazy because a lot of bands you know um early on they want to just master kind of what they know but he he took that that was a huge risk if you think about it oh yeah I mean, when I, but I, and i kind of had a feeling and i had read stuff that he was going it was going to be a lot different and I, I remember the first i mean i vividly remember the first time I put on the bloody kisses cd and listened to it from front to back and i i thought it was amazing you know, but it is quite different. You know, it's so much more, uh, you know, commercial appeal, if you want to call it that, even though the songs are so long. And he's got a lot of, he's always had a lot of different movements in the songs, you know, where it's doing one thing and then it goes in a totally different part. And I think that's why a lot of the songs are so long. But yeah, I mean, going, going to, from, from uh, you know, Slow Deep and Hard to Bloody Kisses is a big leap and a big style change and obviously it it, it paid off you know yeah and in, in all, all you know every, every sense of the word musical climate back then you can do things like that i think i think the listeners were good even like when you go to october rust it was a big one but to me it was a big stylistic change but they still go on tour with pantera it doesn't matter if the music's a little slower you know it was still very effective um what is your favorite yeah, but- typo out of curiosity record My, mine is world coming down i think that's like um just well, going down is is killer. I mean, my favorite, my favorite is is slow, deep, and hard. Yeah. Um, but I kind of keep it separate. It's kind of like you said, you know. To me, the the modern or, or whatever you want to call it, the Tybo really found what they were going to do from Bloody Kisses until the, what was the last one? Dead again. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, World Coming Down is, is is fucking amazing. But I mean, I love them all, you know. I mean, I, and even in, you know on on things like like October Rust at first there was a you know a song or two here and there. And I'm like, I don't know about this. I'm but going, you know, going back and listening to it, you know, over and over. I'm, I'm like, no, it's it's Pete Steele, and uh, to me, everything he's he's written is is just awesome. Yeah, it grew, it grew, and grew. And now now that I listen to it now, I'm like, this is a amazing it's perfect <laughs> so yeah. but you're right at the time man and um let's let's uh segue a little bit over i'm in vegas just got announced you're gonna come out to psycho vegas down's coming back out here i don't know like the, the logistics um of all that yeah. but um psycho vegas is the perfect festival to make it happen where all the incarnations of down play together but i'm talking about you know Phil and Selman the Lady Legals, uh, Crozier and Conformity, I Hate God, Crowbar, and Down. You think someday they can figure that out and put all you guys on that stage for us? Just give us a new well, organization. Actually, actually, Down are playing on the Sunday, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm pretty 99% sure Crowbar are playing on the Friday. Mm, there so, we go. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's what's going on is that's a one-off show for Down. So, Crowbar, we're going to play our way out to Vegas, and then, you know, I'll, I'll play – Friday, have Saturday off, and then play with Down Sunday, and then we'll start back up with Crowbar, playing our way back, you know, back to New Orleans or whatever. Uh, so, uh, you know, that, that's um, I'm 99% sure. That's why I have, I have no problem mentioning it. But, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, whatever whatever Down wants to do, I'm, I'm, I'm super happy and, and, you know, honored and whatever to be a part of the 25th anniversary of NOLA and just whatever, whatever, however much or however little they want to do, it's – it is what it is, you know, but um, I'm just happy to, to be able to jam with the guys again. 
let me ask you this uh, a direct i got a couple questions on down but uh nola is for us fans kind of that landmark uh record when it came out it kind of blew us all away because we didn't see it coming um but for me as a fan growing up over the under was the one that kind of solidified the legacy i think there was a lot riding on that record because it was, it was following a lot of issues that you know Phil had and and things like that. Um, for you, being a creative in the band, what record do you feel look back on and think, "Hey, I'm really, really, really proud of that the most"? I mean, of course, Nola, but actually, I mean, Down Two is really, you know, mm. like I, I don't listen to my own to you know bands or whatever all that often. But um, you know, a lot of times if I'm at a bar or something which I get it, you know, but people play Crowbar and Down and Kingdom and whatever, you know, which I get it, and it's cool, but a lot of people play stuff off Down, too, and I'm like, man, that's, that album, I thought, was, well, dynamically, was 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 a big step, even from, from NOLA, I mean, you know, with, with uh, there were just so many different styles on it, you know, and uh, it was, I guess, a, a, a lot of my love for that record, too, is, um, the whole recording like it's it's something i'm so glad that that i was part of and i'm so glad we did it the way we did the recording it down to but i would never want to do a record like that again um because we literally you know just lived at at not Ferratu's lair we call it which it's phil's on barn turned into studio and we we lived there i mean we i didn't i didn't leave i think i, I think i went home for thanksgiving day and then, and then other than that, you know, just to go eat and hang out with my mom and dad and sister. And then I was back, you know, to finish up the record. So really for like a month, all we did is live and breathe, writing the music. And, you know, there's a lot of partying going on too, but, um, you know, it was, it was enough to drive you nuts. And I think it did drive us all nuts in a way. I mean, at least Phil was living in, in his house, you know, sleeping in his own bed. But I mean, I was sleeping on a couch, um, in the little apartment on top of uh, the studio, and me, me and Pepper lived in there. It was a little one-bedroom apartment. He slept on like a, in a little like kids-type bunk bed, and I slept on the couch. And uh, you know, luckily they had a, a bathroom and a shower in there. Um, but uh, you know, we just—it it was the whole process was just crazy. I mean, you know, just now it was never. I mean, I might sleep three or four hours a night. I go to bed at, at four in the morning, at eight o'clock in the morning. Pepper's cooking breakfast. Get up. I'm like, oh, dude, I'm all hung up. Come on, get up, have a fucking beer. You know, eat breakfast and let, let's start drinking. I'm like, all right. And, you know, we go downstairs and start laying down guitars. And it just, uh, now over the under is, is you know, I think it came out amazing as well. Uh, I did have a lot of input on that record, too. I'm very proud of it. It was just a totally different, uh, it couldn't have been any more opposite from down, too. I mean, we recorded at three different studios out in the Hollywood area. And uh, it was a very you know, long process. I mean, this took place over probably February, March, April, May, June, probably like five or six months um, where we'd fly out there for, you know, 10 days, come home for a week, fly back out. You know, we did the drums in one studio. We did the guitars and vocals and bass and all the other instruments in one studio. And then we mixed it uh, at Ocean Way. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's a great album, but but I actually enjoyed, I think, the recording process down to more than just the traveling back and forth, you know, and staying and staying in the same hotel, you know, the whole time and, and all that kind of stuff. Art through chaos, art through comfort. That's what it sounded like to me. So you prefer the chaos. Yeah, pretty much. That's when when it's all said and done, right? Like when it's all said and done. Obviously, living in the chaos is crazy, but when it's all said and done, it feels like an accomplishment. I do like that. Um, yeah collaborating um who is it harder to convincingly get a green light on an idea for like a down song is pepper or phil um i i would have to say (laughs) i love him but i would have to say pepper Mm. uh phil's phil's more open to um if you got something you know go hang on hang on there's something there you know what if we do this you know and and where like you know i mean i mean I mean, Pepper's open to ideas, but I think it's it's easier to get them over on, uh, at least back then. I mean, Pepper, you know, me and Pepper have gotten very close. Uh, you know, we, you know, not that we weren't close before, but we did two long, you know, like five week tours with COC back in in, in 2019. 
So we hung out every fucking day, and it was really great because we weren't in a in a band in a business performing together. We were in two separate bands, so you know we really got tight. You know, and, and it, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, it was great, great, great time and great, great you know two great tours. But um, yeah, I, I would say I think that most people would, would automatically say Phil would be the 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 more you know. Not that Pep is difficult, but I would say Phil. You know, most people would think Phil would be would, would be very difficult to collaborate with, but it's it's actually the opposite. He's very open to hear what you got, and uh, you know, he throws in his two cents. And normally, you know, you know that's kind of was a thing with, with with Down is whenever anybody threw their own two cents into somebody else's idea, it it you know nine out of ten times it became better. And that was the the beauty of, of of you know having five songwriters in a band, you know. It's and it's also difficult because you're button heads because, you know, I guess I guess in the end Phil was was uh, you know the, the the head guy, but um, you know everybody's was writing writing stuff, you know, and everybody of course thinks their own stuff's great. So you know we blew butted heads a lot, but in the end it was all well worth it and. You know, it, it was great times. And speaking of, um, you know, the last record you did with Down was technically Down 4, you know, the Purple yep. EP. And so we were expecting one e- one EP for four years, right? That was going to be the, the the project completed. We got uh, right. two, so there's two missing now. But at this stage, if you guys, you guys are celebrating NOLA, you're going to be on the road, you know, revisiting classic songs, all that stuff. At this stage, would you guys... Would you personally, I can't speak for the band, obviously, but would you personally want to finish up that EP process or just put out another full length if you guys were going to write a new record? If we ever did anything, you know, as far as, as you know, writing and recording a record, I'd rather just do a full record because, you know, with, with, with everybody, I mean, it it becomes easy. Like, and, and when I think of a band like Kiss, I'm like, okay, of course, Gene and Paul are the main songwriters, but, you know, on some of these early albums, you might have nine songs, you know, and it's like, you know, Ace would throw one in, or occasionally Peter, and then you got, you know, it's like it's easy to write a record when you when you have, you know, uh, a, a lot of songwriters, you know, like that that can write complete songs almost, you know, and and, and uh, you know, um, so you know, but for me, for me, uh, what what happened with the EP thing was kind of it it just got to the pro it took so long to do to do over the under that we were kind of like man. You know, it was such a, like I said, it took, you know, five or six months of traveling back and forth, you know, to help from L.A. to to New Orleans. And, you know, I'm, I'm totally happy that, you know, with the way it came out. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think that was our whole mindset was like, you know what, why don't we just do like six songs? You know, everybody, everybody's got main riffs on a couple of these songs. We, we work together, we put them all together and boom, there you go. So I think that was a whole mindset of that. Back to the solo record real quick. Lyrically, I wanted to talk about this a little bit. There's a lot of hope on this record. A lot of peace. The the world you know being a standout track to me. Um, what was your mindset when you were writing these songs specifically at that time? Um, Honestly, I don't know. I mean, like lyrically, I've always just written thoughts. Like a lot of my songs just start with one line. I just write a, write a, a line. And I'm like, okay, I can I can work with this. And a lot of the a lot of the songs on the solo record, uh, I would just show up to the studio with just like maybe you know two or three lines and just figure out you know okay I want I want to do I want to sing it I want to phrase it like this I want I want the melody to be this, and then I would literally write the song as as I was singing it like one line at a time you know. Yeah. What do you think is the greatest romantic comedy of all time? Romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, oh shit! Oh, that would be a tough one. <laughs> um, uh, I'll, I'll say this, and it's, of course, it's not a comedy, but uh, to, to show my uh, that that I'm very in touch with my my uh, I'm very comfortable with my masculinity, but very in touch with my fem- feminine side. Um, I truly loved the uh, the Notebook. Oh wow! Um, they may come as a shock, but. Uh, you know, I watched it with with Robin, and uh, no, I know it's not a comedy. I can't think of a romantic comedy. Um, Silver Lining but, Playbook is my favorite. Which one? Silver Lining Playbook. 
No, I haven't seen that. Oh. No, no, I didn't see that one either, babe. Check that out. Um, Check that out. I mean, I I, I love comedies. Yeah. You know, I'm not a huge fan. I'm 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 into. I mean, like for me, I'm not into like the sci-fi stuff. I like like we're gonna probably go tomorrow to see that uh, that World War One movie, 1917. Nice. I'm in. I'm into like, you know, drama and 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 history and stuff like that. You know, I'm not I'm not much. Uh, you know. I mean, I, I mean, believe me, I love the old school, you know, I mean, the, all the classic comedy, comedy movies. Um, and, you know, I was a huge you know, Rodney Dangerfield fan and, you know, all his shit was fucking hilarious when it came, you know, when it came out. Yeah, I, I did. I did like uh, 50 First Dates. That yeah, was, that was it. That's a great one. Um, <laughs> I watched it on a plane flight home from Europe and I was like, it, but it was, it was really cute. I mean, I loved you. Barry Warren, you know, like Adam Sandler, but it, it was it was cool. You know, I thought I really did enjoy that one. I accept. Thank you. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. So, last question before I let you go, and everybody know one more time, Kirk Winstein's new record, guys, it is out now. Make sure you check it out. Dream in Motion. Like I said, it came out this past Friday, guys. Trust me, pick it up. Especially if you're a fan of Crowbar or anything that he's done. And the last question is a real simple one, man. You just said you're in the studio writing new Crowbar. Last record, Serpent Only Lies, yep. came out about three years ago. Um, are you looking to release something uh, later this year or early next year for Crowbar? Oh, this year for sure. Hopefully no later than June 1st. So, in fact, we finished up the writing. We got eight eight songs done on drums, guitar, and bass, and we finished writing two songs. The last you know, eight songs, uh, nine and ten, of uh were written i did i did a bunch of guitar stuff monday and then tuesday we kind of put together song nine and demoed it just just guitar and bass to a to a click track and then last night we put together song 10 and it's 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 killer so uh well i will say this for the most part it's a lot a lot doomier um i don't even want to say sludgier because i don't even really care for the term all that much but it's a lot doomier than uh than anything we've done in a very long time so you know uh i I like the direction i think we kind of went in brought in some different elements and went in some different directions on the last three records which i love that but i think that it allowed us to you know open some new doors and 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 bring in some new elements uh but for some reason this one's just it's coming out amazing but it's really kind of falling back on like um way more mature uh old school crowbar so um, i'm really happy with that nice man nice lifeblood's one of my favorite of all time i think that's a doomier that's sound. a killer one man that's a doomier sound so maybe it's gonna hit that yeah lifeblood and sever the wicked hand are the ones that i mean i play those more than anything man that's they're, they're, those yeah, are those uh, classic i love both of those and i, re- I really love sever i mean I, lo- I love the last two big yeah. time yeah but sever was nice because it was so many like life's blood i think was re- was released in 2005 but that was actually recorded in 2003 mm. so i mean it was from for me in the studio it was from 2003 to 2010 before i did anything crowbar wise so sever was like it was fun to get back into the crowbar world you know mm. yeah dude that one mm. everybody if you haven't checked out the whole catalog we've been talking about guys from Crowbar down, Kingdom of Sorrow we didn't bring up, but fantastic records. You you collaborate with Joss all the time. You guys you guys really make yeah, yeah. beautiful things together. I love it as a fan. So with thank that, you. Kirk, man, I'm, I'm excited about the new Crowbar. But with that, man, I want to thank you so much for calling in to the Metal Sucks podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it.
Metal Sucks Podcast.
Back Guy. First song you heard is off the solo debut record, Dream in Motion. That is the title track. Second song is that epic cover song, Aqualong by Jethro Tull, that's closing out the record. Again, I'm promoting this big time. Make sure you guys are checking this record out, buying it. It's out now, dude. And uh, make sure you're supporting Crowbar, Sepultura. Their tour is going to start in March. As you know, we had Derek Green on last week. That's going to be an excellent show, guys. So make sure you're checking it out here in North America. Don't miss those shows. With that, I want to thank everybody out there for the five-star reviews we keep getting on iTunes. You guys are the best, dude. You got nothing else to say. They're great. What do you got, Brandon? I like you. Mm, you like them? Yes. They're good people. I like them. I would invite them over to my house if I had a house that was big enough. <laughs> <laughs> Your house is, is, is ample size. It's got a good backyard. If we had five fans, mm-hmm. I would invite them all over. But we have more people. Oh, it's we true. have more than five. No, it's, I, I, I bet you we have double-digit fans. Oh, it's pushing. <laughs> <It's> pushing. <laughs> but thank you guys for the five-star review. That's all we ask from you guys. I want to thank everybody one more time for all the support you guys are giving our other podcast, Rise to Offend. That one is uh, doing great as well. We just finished up the crash team this week. We're delving into the the entire story of the Joker. So with that, my friends, let's hope nobody passes away in the next week since we've lost so many important drummers. R.I.P. Sean Reinhardt. The Metal Sucks Podcast is signing off. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.